Welcome to Catholic Stuff You Should Know, a J10 initiative. Hey, welcome to the podcast, Father John. And this is Father Mike. We are back in the place where the podcast began, St. John Vianney Seminary. Not exactly the same studio. But Not exactly the same studio, which I think was now your office or my office. Oh, funny? yeah. Down in the basement. Right. Where we started in January 2010. Or Fimsters? Maybe, know. yeah, one of those three. We're yeah. kind of in the uh, the closets down in the corner there. And uh, yeah, that's where it all started. Yeah. It's funny being what on the other. What was it other- called? St. Remigius? St. Uh, yeah. Legius know. or something. Yeah, M- yeah. Musset had one of those funny names. But it's the- funny being on the other side of like now fielding guys' crazy ideas. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. Uh, yeah. Now that we're working as professors and Well, formage. yeah. I'm, yeah, working with the students, I remember um, just kind of that funny spot you're in where I had thought I knew so much, and then I see, okay, there's a lot more to know. And then, but I, I was trying to encourage the guys, like, you know a lot. Yeah. You know, yeah. they really do. They you got a learn lot to a share. lot. You learn a lot about life. You learn about um, theology and philosophy. And um, I think we legitimately had a lot to share yeah. and, and fun ways of thinking about the world and a lot of curiosity and wonder. And um, yeah, it's just a kind of, it, it is a little surreal. Yeah. Because I feel like the same guy and not the same guy. Right. And how long has it been? 15 years? 12 years? <sighs> yeah. Well, I mean, we started the podcast at the end of seminary. You were a deacon um, in January of 2010. I was in third theology. I wasn't a deacon yet. So we had already been in seminary for seven or eight years. And that was uh, 11 years ago. 11. 12, 12 years ago. 12 years ago. So we're getting old. Yeah, uh, I have to ago. keep reminding myself when I want to kill the men that I live with um, that I was arguably – uh, the worst seminarian in the history of this place. And I'm not saying that to be self-deprecating. I mean that um, the kind of combination of nonchalance and just self-reliance, it's like I would have been a terror. So I just have to remind myself, like, okay, this guy's yeah. annoying. He's not as annoying as you were. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I was a brat yeah. for sure. I'm well. looking at the guys and um, and then I was kind of reevaluating my attitude towards studies which was very flippant right. and very um, kind of arrogant in my independence. Like the, the, they were asking for one thing right. and I was doing whatever I wanted and justifying it by saying, well, it's related to the subject matter and uh, the, if you follow your passions, you'll learn more and maintain more interest. And some of the professors liked that and encouraged it. Other professors, probably the majority, um, were, were just like, well, why don't you do what we're asking you to do? Oh, yeah. We're teaching you. Yeah, I mean. And I feel like that now on the other side of like, you know, watching the guys and the ones who are struggling with grades, um, some of them, like that's a real like existential struggle. Like they're just, they work hard. They wish that they were doing better and and they, uh, you know, they're hustlers. They really put in a lot of fight. And I think that's a lot of virtue. Shows a a good man. Um, And then there's guys who, just don't care. Yeah. They don't really care about their grades. And if they don't care about a class, they'll, they'll bomb that one and then do really well in the one they care about. That was me, the brat. <laughs> and sometimes, and for a long time, I would brag about that. About and bombing. Now, 
now I, I still think it's kind of funny, but it's also like, oh, man, there was very little virtue in that. I was just a brat. I cannot imagine uh, teaching myself. I sat in the back of most of my classes and just read Balthazar. I, and I drew diagrams or whatever. I didn't even look at the teacher. I mean, I would lose my mind if a yeah. guy even attempted that for five minutes. Now, the you fact that I brat. did this, the fact that we did this for years and it was largely unnoticed, I mean, that's a whole other thing, you know, um, about the absorption of brilliant academic minds and the material to the neglect of the students. I don't have that problem, fortunately, the uh, not being... Engaging, you're good at engaging. I, I have to admit, I'm not good at engaging the students. I don't, that's something that I'm learning. Yeah, no, I engage the students, but I, I'm also not so brilliant that I'm taken by the content. Oh, I see what you're saying. You know what I saying. mean? Like yeah, yeah. some of these professors are just so, they're so captivated by the ideas that they lose yeah. touch with reality. I just don't have that problem because I'm just not that deep, so. Whatever. All right, it, wait, wait, okay, so I'm wondering about this um, green screen. So we're in a studio I knew that you were was ask about set that. up by the seminar. It's Jake hard Machado. to ignore. It's like ask. it's very you know, Gumby costume here. Maybe I could like put like Hawaii. Behind. Is that one of those? That's screens, what I'm you know? saying. Like, where, where I was going to ask you. Like we did all these Zoom classes. Did you pick a background or no, are you uh, just standard that, blur out? There's that line from Wayne's World where they're going through those, and then it's like now you're in Del Delaware. Here oh, we are yeah. in Delaware. <laughs> Yeah, you could. Uh, I think I was a uh, spaceship I would when I had the freedom to do uh, it. Yeah, yeah. Oh, you're talking about Zoom. If I was on a meeting like with you the were, faculty or something, you were at the guy I at the couldn't moon. do the yeah. spaceship, but yeah. I love that one. Tim Heaton was always on the moon in my when I was teaching the deacons. You know him, yeah. Deacon Tim? Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. He was always on the, that was my, the That's a favorite backdrop because uh, your head looks like or it's the floating beach. Everybody floating picks the beach. Exactly. Now, I never was that creative with the Zoom backdrops, but this is kind of uh, obtrusive. Yeah, it's just kind of, I don't know what it is so or why do, we're in do, here. What do they use it for? I don't know. This well, is a podcast studio, isn't yeah, it? I, I guess so. Is it so. a film studio too? A lot of junk, or does it just junk in, in here. Inspire? Green is an inspiring color. Maybe it is. Maybe it's helping Isn't it the, sound? the color of greed and envy? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it makes true. you ambitious, and then they want to beat all of the other well, and, podcasts uh, maybe. <laughs> Beatrice is also wearing some green. When she descends down from heaven uh, in the celestial garden, which we'll get to, so yeah. And why? Because she's life. She's I believe the so. new Eve or yeah, something. Yeah, I think it's a, okay. it's a creation motif. Or maybe Dante just liked green. He did. He liked red and green. She was wearing both. So, yeah, I'm not sure what to tell you, but this is a funny, funny studio in here. I have to say. Um, so the seminary. We're gonna kind of we're kind of vagabonds when it comes to locations. We'll kind of keep floating around until we find a spot, and then we'll stay there a bit, and then we'll you know. Kind of, then we'll keep moving. So, but we're excited to be back. Um, you know, last week, yes, uh, really grateful to Mike for taking the lead on, uh, you know, it's not easy to talk about the break and the things. And um, I just thought you did a really good job of uh, doing it. And then also, just it was great to just uh, have a farewell to Goebel. Um, and as he mentioned, uh, he's not taking a break, he's finishing, he's concluded um, without any sense of what the, the, the uh, future will be. He's not saying never. He's yeah. just saying, I he's don't know. Done. Yeah, he's, he, done. He, he's done. He's done. this. Yeah. Yeah. So those of you who are pining for who will be responding this week and when is Goebel coming back? We get it. Uh, he's the best. He's the funniest. But That's uh, true. We'll definitely miss him. Yeah. We've, we've already, yeah. you know, given you that episode, but um, yeah, it's worth reiterating. And then maybe the plan. 
the plan. Because we didn't really uh, talk about the yeah, plan. Yeah, we didn't really talk about the plan. So the plan is um, we're going to continue the Thursday posts. Mike and I are going to be uh, at the helm here for a bit. We're also looking at bringing in one or two younger guys. Um, we have asked, uh, we've kind of... I, I, you can't do names because I no, haven't... No, no, not names. I've just followed through I've talked to ask. one. Mike's talking to a guy. We're going to figure it out. And we're going to kind of kind of ease them into it, let some guys record. And we might bring on some guys who... Uh, like it but are like ah, i'm not really in into it or we might be like i don't know if that really works so it'll be a bit free-flowing what it will be is younger brothers in the companions of christ right i think that's what we've agreed on we also like to collaborate with some other podcasts especially uh the um gregorian rant oh yeah the larkin show we had talked about the larkin show pat davini uh and so we'll see if we can do it we're, we're looking forward to kind of doing some fun uh things like that but at the at the kind of standard guys will be Mike and I kind of recording each week. And it works well because um, Father Mike is a professor of scripture and uh, Greek, and he's here at the seminary uh, ha- you know, a lot of the time, uh, also working at the cathedral, and then I'm teaching and doing formation here as well. So it works well to record here at the seminary. That's right. That's well, right. So hopefully, I don't know, we'll get used to this space, this sound. I don't know. Can we decorate it all? We should. I don't know if it's is it ours to decorate. I don't know. I don't think so. I don't. I don't know. We'll figure it out. We'll figure it out. I'm sure we could find another room if they need one. So, but we're back. Yeah, we're back, and it's great. The OGs. It's the OGs. And we put in a plug. Yeah, we do. Kind of. We should try to rope in the Gregorian rant. I put in a plug once upon a time, but it was like maybe six months before they started. Yeah. So it was not helpful at all. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I was trying to do them a favor, but. All right, we'll give him the bump. We'll give him the bump. Um, I am thrilled to be talking about uh, Dante's Purgatorio right now with you. Uh, and because I've been teaching, uh, so I created an elective for the deacons called Dante is Theological Aesthetic. So it's Dante reading mm-hmm. the Divine Comedy, which for those of you who aren't familiar, is the story of uh, Dante's, he's lost in this dark wood, and uh, he encounters Virgil, who's sent to him by Beatrice, who's the kind of love of his life, who dies uh, when she's a young woman. Um, and she's in heaven, and she intercedes and, and sends him. And Virgil leads Dante through hell, through the seven levels. Wait, okay, so Dante is this medieval poet who's a real dude and also a character in his story. Right. Because it's his explore, self-exploration of sorts. Was he really in love with a... Uh, Beatrice? Yep, real person. Oh, yep. really? Okay. Mm-hmm. Dante, but, na- but now they're dead. Uh, but now they're dead. Well, kind of. So so the story takes place on Good Friday in the year th- 1300. Okay. Dante writes the the actual writing of the, the poetry was between the year 1307 and like uh, 1324, I think. Um, but Beatrice dies in 12, 1286, I think. So Dante is a young man. They're, they're both born i think in uh, around um 12 12 uh 68 12 70 something like that so dante is roughly 30 years old when this happens uh actually it's he's uh 35 because he says uh mezzo de camino de vita right halfway yeah. through the the camino of white life the walk of life so he's 35 yeah so that would mean that dante is born in uh, 12 uh, 68 beatrice he sees her as a young child or like as a he's like maybe 10 and she's like 13 and he just oh, falls in love and, and devotes his life to her yeah 
But he only That's sees that old chivalry, man. Oh yeah, yeah. That old. You like that romantic oh, chivalry? Yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely, yeah. man. I'm a Don Quixote guy. Yeah, he picks his Dulcinea, and then so Dan, this is the, Dante's this is the born real deal. In, Dante's born in Florence in, in May of uh, 1265. Okay, um, I cut you off with telling the story. Yeah. So, anyways, he um um I could do, I could do 25 podcasts on on this right now because I've been loving this so much. But um, so Dante uh falls in love with Beatrice, and she becomes for him the the model of uh, earthly beauty. Beatrice marries another nobleman. Um, and uh, then she dies in her early twenties. And did uh, they ever have a romantic connection? Uh, no. Or was it like an infatuation? No romantic kind of connection. They crush. knew each other. It was kind of the same kind of aristocratic families um, in Florence. And uh, so she would have known him. He passed her on the street a couple times. She he, she kind of blows him off one time because mm. he was getting kind of crazy with his buddies and. Uh, so, but they had very little interaction, but she is everything for him. And, but she's a caricature. I mean, does she have any complexity in the story? Like she have any flaws? Uh, she just, no, she's in heaven. The caricature of perfection. She is, I wouldn't call her the caricature. I would call her the paragon of earthly beauty. Okay. Elevated by grace. Okay. So she is an allegorical character because the, the, the comedy is, uh, has different levels, okay? And you understand this, you know, uh, teaching scripture. He's he's modeling it after that. So she's figurative and literal. Yeah. She's a literal woman who's literally in heaven, who literally intercedes to Virgil, who leaves limbo, which is the first level of hell, comes up to this dark woods, finds Dante, and says, we have to descend before we can ascend. Yeah. So they descend through the hell, which is nine layers. Seven of those are the seven deadly sins. And then they ascend the Mount of Purgatory, which is nine levels, seven of the, the main seven of those are um, the seven terraces of the seven deadly sins, which are purified in opposite order. So as you descend into hell, you start with lust. You need to go lust, gluttony, avarice, uh, sloth, wrath, jealousy, pride. And pride is at bottom. And things get colder. Things slow down and things get Ah. colder. And the bottom of hell is not fire. It's, it's frozen. It's ice. Satan is frozen upside down, and he's chewing on Brutus and Judas Iscariot because traitors um, to benefactors are at the bottom of hell. Mm. Then Dante and well, Virgil. Can I ask yeah. about the descent? Yeah, go. Um, I think it's interesting that he doesn't start in hell. Um, it's very charismatic. It follows salvation history. Like man is good, human beings are right, good right. essentially. He's lost. But then they, lo- they yeah, then they lose their way and they descend into the the mess. And um, yeah, there's you don't start in the absolute chaos and everything. Personally, you know, I think when we're born into the world, we are born into some of the chaos mm-hmm. and the evil. Um, although we're so innocent that we don't um, take it on so much we call it original sin concupiscence even when original sin is gone and that doesn't mean sometimes that's confused as uh, everybody has done something wrong where people say oh how you can't talk about original sin babies haven't done anything wrong right but the point is we're born with genetic defaults and character flaws and into a world where there is abuse and war and all kinds of problems that are um evils Mm-hmm. You know, so we experience that regardless of whether or not we're choosing it. 
Right so on. Even even kids yeah. are affected by this sort of damned environment of sorts. Um, but we start in that limbo is just the question of uh, is we don't know where we are, but we're not in hell and we're not in purgatory or heaven yet. Right? That's right. We're born lost mm. in the woods and we can't escape. He's trying to run away and there's these kind of these different beasts that are finding him and he, he's just completely, he can't go up the mountain. He keeps trying to climb, but he keeps falling back down. It's just this chaotic thing. And so it's Good Friday. And Virgil comes to him. Virgil is is going to be, uh, so Virgil, first century BC, the greatest of the ancient poets uh, and the, the kind of the hero of Dante, who's a poet, who's modeling a lot of this after Virgil's Aeneid, which is the story of Aeneas, which plays off of Homer, the two parts, uh, the Iliad and the Odyssey. And right? Aeneas is the founder of Rome. Exactly. He leaves Troy after the battle, and he travels around and then eventually makes his way to Rome. And he's this kind of, Heroic figure. I don't know if he's saintly, but he's heroic for right, sure. Right, And kind of represents the greatest, for Virgil, um, this both the greatest in the courage of the adventure and also in, in the virtues demonstrated along the way. And then founder of the greatest place in the world, which is Rome right. and its empire. Um, so, yeah, Virgil was this epic poet. Do you think he's copying his style or was this the style of the day, Dante? Uh, so the style, that's a good question. Um, the comedy is replete with references to Homer uh, and Virgil, and it certainly is playing within that kind of genre of the epic poem because Virgil's character, Aeneas, at one point has to descend into the underworld oh, yeah. and passes these different rivers, one of which we're going to talk about a little later here. And so there's, there's, a, uh, there's a lot of play on this. But, of course, Dante is, is operating out of a Thomistic, um, theocentric universe. So the, this this kind of cosmic vision of the Christian, which is just steeped in him. So uh, Dante is a poet. His style is, they had they called this the dolce sti novo. So it was like the, the sweet new style. Mm. So he's got this kind of it, romanticisms in the air. There's troubadours all over Europe. It's the 13th century. It's also a time of absolute and chaotic violence. So Florence, has, which is this great city-state, has been ripped apart by two different parties, the Guelphs and the Ghibellines. Oh, Dante is a Guelph. I think I would choose Guelph. you choose Guelph. Well, then, then it divides again because the Guelph leader has two different wives, one of whom is this kind of notorious woman named Bianca. So Bianca being white, oh. if you follow her, then you're a white Guelph, or if you don't, you're a black Guelph. If you follow, you choose to follow, not if you're born into It's all the parties and families and all this different lines. So anyways, oh the Ghibellines okay, are I'm killing Ghibellines are killing Guelphs. Guelphs are killing Ghibellines. Anyways, Dante is a white Guelph who ends up coming into power around the time when he situates the... Um, so Beatrice dies. This is going to be Can important. Can I add a note on style? Yes. Um, simply that um, I remember that um, Italians, when they start to study um, the language, like their grammar... The first thing that they refer to is uh, are two works, Dante, uh, or two authors, Dante and Francis of Assisi, mm. representing um, this shift from Latin language to Italian. These are the first two. Um, to, they're pioneers in writing for the the common man. You, you used to write formally with Latin, and then they're the ones who are, and then you speak the the average Italian. Um, in are in and around Florence. This is Florentine Italian, right? And then um, 
so they start to write in these things, and um, and then the the tradition continues. Writing will take um, Italian, and eventually Italian will um, replace the Latin as the uh, language of the educated, and and then spread with national. Um, the development of the nation of Italy, then everybody adopts. They kind of vote on whose language, which region's language. Yeah. Should we use uh, the language of Naples or Sicily or Venice? And they choose the middle of the country, which is Florence, and kind of the poetic, the old poetic that comes from your boy Dante. So um, a pioneer of language. And That's right on. Yeah, that's why he's called the father of the Italian language. Um this is the greatest, uh, this is the Christian epic poem. This is it. This is the greatest poem ever written by a Christian, uh, written in the vernacular language, which was pretty um, pretty radical in the year 1300. Uh, the language is difficult. Can I, was I talking argue to Father with that? I'm going to push back and say, what about uh, John of the Cross's spiritual canticle? Okay, you can say that. All right. We're going yeah. to We can divide. debate that. I'm a Guelph. You're a Guelph. You're a black Guelph. Okay. Um, I was talking to Father Emilio Francomi, and he says it's actually harder for me to read Dante in the Italian original than it is to read it in English. I'd prefer to read it in English. Wow. Because this is, this is it's, it's like not just, it's like Shakespeare, except go back another four centuries. Right. It's like Beowulf in the original or whatever. Um, but you're right to say that Tuscan is the language, what we call Ita- Italian, now the way, or as my parents would say, Italian. Uh, yes, Italian <laughs> food. Breadsticks. Uh, yeah, breadsticks. Um, you know, it, as you said, Italy unifies as a country in 1871, and they pick one language. There's a lot of languages, and they pick Tuscan, and they say Tuscan is now Italian. And everybody learns this, and so Dante really is the father of the language. Whether this is the greatest Christian poem ever to be debated but we will say that it is the first of its kind. Okay, so, so they descended into hell, and then they came back up. So the last point on Dante biographically is that he's in power. De- Beatrice dies, and Dante uh, becomes a statesman. Oh, okay. And he gives his life, so he, he kind of gives up his youthful kind of troubadour love of Beatrice, and he kind of commits himself to kind of, but he, yeah, g- he gets politics. a wife, and he just kind of, but he loses his first love, mm-hmm. which is going to be important. Because he's going to meet Beatrice in the story, and she's okay. going to she's going to go after him, um, and uh, so he goes into politics, and then he gets on the wrong side of the Guelph battle. After, in about thirteen oh four, I think he's exiled, and he never returns back to Florence. They'll burn him at the stake if he returns to the city. His so family his family stays there. Mm. His kids his kids later come and join him. He just he becomes kind of a vagabond. He moves from court to Whoa. court. He ends up in um, Veneto a bit, um, and then finally dies in Ravenna. Was he mostly known and um, maybe used as a statesman, a politician, developing social structure and legislation, or as a poet, um, entertaining? People, yeah, I mean, really both. Teaching. Dante is going to encounter poets through his journey through hell. Uh, poet. Uh, and and the Purgatorio and Paradiso. He's also going to encounter statesmen. Uh, and then he was also a, philosoph- a, a great student of philosophy and theology. Uh, he loved St. Thomas Aquinas. He calls this, this has been called the Summa in Verse. Mm. Um, it's a rich way to, uh, to study the great uh, medieval theology, which uh, is very systematic in its structure, but this, this kind of puts flesh on it. Uh, so it's, uh, yeah, so anyways, he... 
he lives out the rest of his life in exile, uh, and he writes the purg- he writes these three from there. So it's a fascinating man, amazing. Um, anyways, with a lot of life experience. Yes, and I think that you know learning, but also a lot of terrible suffering. That's what's going to go Des- into. I mean, when we talk about exile, it's destitution. And for Dante to say he's a Florentine, and he says I'm a Florentine by temperament, not. Uh, not by birth, and what he means, he's kind of renouncing it because he's so devastated that he's been thrown off. Um, no, by birth, but not by temperament is what he says. Um, okay, so he, allegory? Uh, the point of this was to say, okay. when we say we're from Littleton, yeah, um, that's not the same sense. Centennial. To be from Florentine, yeah, or Centennial, centennial yeah, yeah, but yeah. Centennial is even less that just came to be, or Highlands Ranch, whatever. When, they, when you say you're from Florence, this is, this is everything because the city was so deeply steeped in human nature. Like you knew your, your, especially if you were a noble family, you would trace your lineage back centuries. Um, this was who you were. And so to be in exile is, is really a state of kind of existential chaos mm. um, that he goes through. Okay, what are you saying? Allegory? Allegory. So you have Dante with his life, and then you have Dante's character and Beatrice's character, and I don't know about Virgil. He's kind of a guide. I don't know. Um, but this is them exploring not only the afterlife, but the psychological experience of human um, spiritual growth. Exactly. So, so the, it's yeah. not just, it's going to be like, what are, what's happening to me and exactly. you yeah. right now? Right. The, the literal sense is this, this character, Dante, is passing through hell, purgatory, and into heaven the allegorical sense is this is every soul. This is what happens in every okay. soul. And that's why this is so compelling. Virgil is an allegory of reason, Beatrice of faith. So they, the, there's this interplay mm, between okay. grace and nature. Beatrice really is the paragon of, of earthly beauty, as I said earlier, elevated into, into the heavenly. And so Virgil is going to lead him, but Virgil is going to kind of hand off Dante at the top of the Mount of Purgatory. So they're going to descend through hell together, and then they're going to kind of climb out the other side. So imagine the imagine that the top of the world is Jerusalem, and then you have this huge shaft to the middle of the world. That's the inferno. Yeah, the descent through the rings, they call them rings. Uh-huh. Okay. And then they get to the bottom, and then they kind of climb past Satan, and they climb out the other side. And the Mount of Purgatory is on the exact opposite side of the world. Okay. Oh, okay. The antipods, this is the place, so to speak. Right. So you come through the entire world, and then you climb the Mount to Purgatory, and then you go up into the heavens, into, into, the, heavens. into the seven. Okay. So you have seven basic levels of hell, seven basic levels of Purgatory, seven basic. You have some some different ones in there, um, but that's largely how it plays out. What's interesting, and and really worth thinking about, is the way that that Dante aligns the levels of hell and Purgatory. So you start with the least grave sin and you end in the most grave. The least is lust, and the most grave is pride. Pride, right. But you start with the most grave when you climb the Mount of Purgatory, pride, and you end with lust. So you're rooting out the worst of us and moving toward the... Exactly. Purgatory, the Mount of Purgatory is steepest at the bottom Mm. and then graduals off. Okay. Uh, Whenever you drive past Eisenhower Tunnel and you go into Summit County, you look straight ahead at Buffalo Mountain, and I always think of... Mount of Purgatory like that because it's real steep on the sides if you've ever climbed it and then it, and it, it graduates off. off. The other thing about this is living in kind of a Puritan culture, 
we really think sins of the flesh right. are the greatest sins. Right. I always tell my guys, I was like, when was the last time you, we, not you, we with didn't go to communion because of pride? But people do right. because of sexual sin. But it's the hard, those are the easiest to sort of notice. Right. I think. So, and they're the most primal. It's like, you know, what do we, we survive, we eat, and we reproduce. Right. That's an animal. Yeah. You know, and so they're, they're kind of the natural inclinations. I try to tell people in the confession somehow with respect for the gravity, also like this is not surprising to yeah. God or to anybody else that you fall into these sort of fleshly sins. But digging down into the, the deeper ones is tough. It takes work. It takes time. You know? Yeah, that's right on. So lust, gluttony, and avarice, love of material things, body, um, food, drink, uh, and um, money, money or possessions. These are love of excessive goods. Then you move into sloth, which is kind of a defective love. And then you move into the real hell, which is the absence of love. They pass into this thing called dis, which is this kind of like the city, but it's like a destroyed city. And that's when they move into the bottom of hell. That's the absence of love. We think of, everybody talks about hate. You see hate everywhere. We got to get hate out of the world. Hate is not the opposite of love. Pride is the opposite of love for the Christian. Mm. Hate's bad. Wrath is bad. Yeah. But pride is the opposite. That's the emptying of love. So then you get through, Dante and Virgil climb out the other side of the world and they look up at the stars. Every, every, um, every part of the comedy ends with the star, le stelle. It's so beautiful. They look up and they see the stars. Stars are always orienting us back to God, back to our ultimate end. So at the bottom of the Mount of Purgatory, and I want to focus on the top and I don't want to go too long here, so we'll make this brief. They come out and... Um, they meet this guy, Cato. Cato of Utica. Do you know who that is? He's a philosopher, but I don't know. No, I, don't know. I can't remember. Stoic, maybe? St- uh, um, yeah, uh, Stoic, or maybe not. He's early. He's first century. He's around the time of Julius Caesar and Pompey. Um, basically considered like the vo- most virtuous man in Roman history, statesman. Um, and Cato is going to help them kind of navigate. Okay, here's where you're going. But he's like, first you have to take these reeds, which symbolize humility, and wipe your face because you don't even realize how disgusting you are from hell. It's the first thing that happens. Their faces are wiped. And then you can't even get to the Mount of Purgatory without the assistance of grace. That's the first thing. Mm. We don't climb the Mount of Purgatory. That's muscular Christianity. We can't just make ourselves perfect. You can't just muscle your way into holiness, right? So they have to wait, and this barg comes. The ship, led by angels, takes Dante and Virgil across. And then they go into the ante purgatory where they see the late repentant. They see excommunicated, all kinds of people. They're not even on the terraces of the Mount of Purgatory yet. But they've crossed. But they've crossed, and they're they're there. And one of the really interesting things I found was that in the ante purgatory, self-preoccupation is the people who are there. Mm-hmm. You can't even begin growing in holiness and being purified if you're self-preoccupied. So you got to kind of get that sorted. And then this eagle takes Dante and throws him right at the gate. And when he comes to the gate, this angel takes a huge sword and sears seven peas, peccati, right? 
the seven deadly sins into his forehead so that every level he's going to have to suffer and they're going to be removed. Uh, then he starts moving up the mountain. The First level of That's an intense tattoo. Do you remember Don't any Don't get that kids. Do you remember any of the suffering uh, uh, what the souls are doing on any of those? It's kind of interesting how No, you, see, I've I've gone through the inferno. Mm. I don't know why everybody reads the Inferno, but not Purgatory or Heaven. Yeah, you know, I think Purgatorio is is the best for me. It resonates the most. Inferno is now the I'll most have dramatic. To take it up. I got a lot of reading, but that's yeah. Well, you know, very, that's it, it's of interest to me because it, it has the potential to give you a description of the solutions where God is taking you by yeah. grace. Oh yeah. Through, oh, it's through yourself. It's unbelievable. I would read it with other people, and I would read it aloud. I think it, it, poetry needs to be read out loud. It doesn't make sense to read it quietly like prose. So they start up the mountain. Um, they encounter the souls who are suffering in the level of pride, and they're carrying these huge rocks on their back, just kind of everywhere they go. Then they get to the level of envy, and their eyes are sewn shut, and they're crying through their eyes. Yikes. Amazing. I know. The wrathful are laying are laying down like there there's cold rain that's kind of shutting them down because they've just been you know and then they get to the level of sloth and they're everybody's running this is like jogging club at wash park yeah. right you were slothful get in going. life you got to get, get moving right and then avarice gluttony of course they're emaciated and then the lustful are just on fire they're just burning but they're singing they're singing the psalms and everything is marian and it's tied to the beatitudes and there's communion, so they're suffer. It's the same fires as hell, but they're not torturing. They're not pains. Yeah. They're purifying. Yeah, they're not in despair. They're not in despair. They're going somewhere. So then, at the top of the Mount of Purgatory is the Garden of Eden, which is cool because a uh, what they call the celestial paradise. Because an exegete friend of mine once told me that he thought the Mount of, or the uh, Garden of Eden was on a top of a mountain. Yeah. That would be you, yeah, of course. Yeah. Well, that's Bergsma. Bergsma. Yeah. And I that stole that. Too. And that would be because... But I love it. Because the rivers. Yeah, because it talks about the rivers coming from. Um, and, yeah, presumably they descend. Yeah. We're big, so we're big mountain people, so we're all, he's we're all about He's not using the, the word heaven. He's using the word paradise, which yeah. is easier to kind of connect mentally to the garden right. of Eden and the garden of the resurrection. And right. Um, and the new creation garden at the end of Revelation. Exactly. Yeah, paradise. Paradise. So the Paradiso is going to be in the, in the heavens, and he's got this kind of uh, kind of specific kind of geocentric worldview that we won't get into, that he goes through the seven levels of heaven, and he's going to end in the Empyreon where he's going to see, behold, the, the beatific vision, and all the saints in heaven, and Mary is at the high point, and St. Bernard leads him to make this beautiful prayer, and that's how it ends. But the point I want to focus on here for the next few minutes is what happens when he reaches the celestial garden at the top of the Mount of Purgatory. Um, he is with Virgil, and they picked up this other dude, Statius. What, what happened to Cato? Cato never left the bottom. Okay. Cato just showed him to the boat. But Cato is going to be the last to, in the end times, when, when Purgatory is no more, Cato is going to be the last one in. Okay. But Cato is never baptized. That's interesting. Mm, yeah. Virgil, they pick up this other guy, Stadius, um, who was a first century AD, huge fan of Virgil, and actually converted through reading Virgil. He converted to Christianity. Oh. 
So Stadius or Statius um, is with them. One of the fun things about the Purgatorio is that you, you meet people and they come join you. So Dante is on the level of gluttony and he runs into his old drinking buddy. He's ah. like, Sordello, what are you doing here? Hey. And they're like, oh, I can't believe you're here also. And there's this fun kind of like it, it, people just get tied in. And um, it's a place of relationship because sin is the rejection of relationality. And that's what hell is, is the absence of communion and relationship. So purgatory is like kind of putting it back together. Bringing people together. So they enter the, the celestial garden at the top. And uh, Virgil and Statius and um, Dante are together. First thing they see is there's this beautiful young woman in this river, and they kind of call out to her, and she's singing. And her name is Matilda. Okay, great name for yep. beauty. There you go. It's kind of grandma name. These grandma days. name. Yeah. Well, old old names are coming back, so maybe That's maybe somebody true. will listen and have a Matilda. Matilda. It's a cool friend. Like French people still name their kids. Yeah. And well, apparently, it's or the German Matilda. Matilda. That is beautiful. Um. So they meet Matilda at the top of the earthly paradise, and she kind of explains how this is going to go down. And the main thing I want to focus on today is these two rivers that Matilda is going to help Virgil pass through in order to be the final purification. Before we get the final purification, yes. can I ask, whatever happened to Beatrice? She's, not, she's coming down. Okay. So she's, she's going to arrive shortly. So um, this is like Canto... Um, 28. There's 33 cantos in the Purgatorio. Okay. So she's kind of Matilda. We meet her. She's introducing. If you ever want to see great artistic depictions of this, uh, Gustave Doré was the kind of the great uh, artist who who did all these things. And it's really, it's pretty magnificent. So, um, so Matilda's going to explain that there's these two rivers. Um, there is the, the Lethe, L-E-T-H-E. And then there is the um, UNE. I'm going to let you help me with that. E-U-N-O-E. UNE. Sure. Think of the Greek. U as in eudaimonia. Yeah. UNOE. Like a a good brain? Mm -hmm. Good mind? Good mind or good memory is how they'll describe it. So the first thing Matilda says is you need to be washed in these two rivers. The first river is called forgetfulness. Lethe. And the second one is called Good Memories or Une. Okay, so so the Lethe is that's pulled right out of Virgil. Okay, so Aeneas has to pass through this one of the five rivers of the underworld that Aeneas has to pass through. It's the mm. it's the world of forgetfulness. But in the Aeneid, it's not really a good thing because the underworld is not hell and it's not heaven. It's just this kind of place, yeah, shadowy place. Exactly. You you kind of life disappears. Yeah, but you're not. You're not. You don't disappear, or you don't go to hell. Yeah. So, but what what is happening is that he's been purified of his sins, and now he forgets what sin was like. Mm. That's part of the purification yeah, for heaven. Cool. And that's the first. And then the second one is going to be Unome, uh, E U N O E with an umlaut, and he makes up that word. This is a word made up by Dante. Mm. You, as in good in the Greek, and nue from nous, good mind, as you mm-hmm. very quickly put together, our Greek, Greek prof here. That's going to be good memory. So you're first healed through forgetfulness of evil, and then you're healed by drinking, literally drinking of good memory. So you take all of the good from this life as you go into heaven. Mm. In between these two rolls in a griffin carrying a, ch- a chariot, 
and then these angels descend with Beatrice. Right. Ah. So the griffin is a symbol of Christ. The griffin is. I was going to ask, what is a griffin? I mean, I, I have the picture in my head. I've seen the pictures of griffin, but I have no idea what it's for. Half lion. Yeah. And half. How would you describe it? Hawk or something? Yeah, bird. Yeah. It's a symbol of the two natures of Christ, God oh, okay. and man. So the griffin is Christ carrying the chariot, which is the church, which is kind of held up by the seven, these seven. Virtue, we got everything coming in here from the book of Revelation. I mean, we could unpack this forever. Um, and uh, so they're descending from it, and then Beatrice descends. And Dante er, Dante and Virgil have their last conversation at the end of Canto 29. And it's just heart-wrenching because Virgil is like, you made it, I took you to the top, and this is, this is now farewell. Um, and Dante is just on the, you know, he's already passed through the Lethe River, and he's forgotten the experience of evil. He's been purified, and then Beatrice comes down. Oh yeah, he's and ready. you're expecting this unbelievable intimate moment. Oh no! Oh no! She just takes him to task. She oh. completely berates him for betraying and forgetting his first love, for oh, no. for leaving him, or excuse me, for her. Uh, for how do I say this? For Dante forgetting Beatrice after she passes away. But hasn't he gone through good memories? One not, yet. Remember not yet. Beatrice? Oh, he has he's to be. He has to be chastised. So what's the point of all of this? There's more to it than just muscling your way up the Mount of Purgatory. Mm-hmm. You have to be led through the water of forgetfulness. This is part of the grace, is being healed of memory. But you also have to be led to, I mean, he weeps at the end of this. He's been waiting all this time to see her, and she's right. But after she takes him to task... I can't help but think of Beatrice Sullivan, who has the best name. Yeah, and I, was, I yeah, made a right. joke to her about this recently. She didn't respond, but Beatrice and I have had some bouts, and she's taken me to task, which I've deserved. But Because uh, you forgot your first love. I guess, Well, not yeah. her. Not her, yeah. But, uh, but then she takes him to task. Dante breaks down and then is led by Matilda into the waters of the Unome. And, but he's looking. He's fixated on Beatrice, who's smiling, mm. and her eyes are just still there. Because Beatrice is now going to take him through the Paradiso. She's going to lead him all the way to the top when they're going to encounter St. Thomas Aquinas, St. Francis, and then St. Bernard who's going to point to Our Lady, and that's where everything's going to kind of come to its completion and end. But I just, I love this, uh, I just love this, what happens at the top. Mm. The interplay between these two rivers. And I think as we begin Lent, maybe this is the point of all this, um, is to say, your Lenten work of penance is just—it's just not your work. Yeah. Beatrice symbolizes grace. She symbolizes mystery. She symbolizes uh, the fullness of beauty. What drew Dante up the Mount of Purgatory was desire, eros, mm. and eros is stirred by beauty, and but beauty also chastises, and beauty handles us in ways that we don't understand, and we're led by it. We can't possess it. And at the top of the Mount of Purgatory, when Dante's heart is finally ready to be received, he has to receive that final rebuke between the waters of the Lethe and the Nunome uh, in order to be fully ready for heaven, the place of perfection. Can I digress for a minute? Please, that's Uh, it. Just to ask, um, oh yeah, that's a beautiful point. Um, And just to kind of elaborate or use different language, but... um, sometimes, yeah, we look at Lent as I'm going to conquer my vices. And part of the point here is, no, God is going to conquer your vices or help you 
to be purified from from the vices um, with your consent, with your desire, moving with your will. Um, okay, the other piece is that the angels, the representation of grace, took him across the river at the bottom. Do they accompany him through each of the stages? I was curious, how, how, what does it look like when he goes from one level of purgatory to the next? Does he just so, walk through a door? Or? So the angels are there at the bottom. That they help him across the waters to the Mount of Purgatory, which is an island. And then the angel is there. <laughs> you got the hiccups? Uh, no, I'm trying to cough. Oh, sorry. It was a very subtle <laughs> It cough. doesn't come. The angel is there guarding the gate of Purgatory. Angels kind of pop in and out. They're kind of around, but they're not too involved. And then at the top of the mountain, we really see them involved. Um, my mistake, Beatrice takes him to task, and then he's led by Matilda through the waters of the Lethe and then the Unome. And the Unome is the last thing. Good memory is the last thing that happens. Um, Before we hear the final line, he says this, from its most holy waters I returned as remade as a young plant appears, renewed in every newly springing frond, pure and in trim for mounting to the stars. Puro y disposto a salire alle stelle. Everything ends with the stars. Bravo, Dante. So there we go. I think, and then uh, the, the, the image, I don't know if he was intending this, but it com- that comes to my mind is uh, the first psalm. Um, Blessed is the one who meditates on the Lord day and night. And, and then this, this same image of a tree that's planted in the, in the waters of grace hmm. that bears fruit and, um, perpetually in every season. Um, it's, yeah, Macarius, the blessed, is what we call saint beatification, mm-hmm. you know. Um, and that's a that's a profound image of uh, the tree that is fully alive. Remember, uh, Irenaeus saying, "Yeah, uh, what is it? Glory of God is man fully alive." Um, and the saints are not the people who are boring, but the ones who are like fully alive. They've gone through all of this experience of life and freedom and um, um, losing the self, and now you have. Um, this kind of place of joy and health. That's it. I, I think that the... Um, Thank you, Dante. Dante, yeah. I mean, Virgil says, <coughs> now that your will has been made free, um, uh, he says, libero e sano, like you're free and you're healed. Do what you will. It's Augustine's lines, love and do what you will. Mm. When, you're, when your will, the whole point of the Mount of Purgatory is to, be, is to properly become free. Because heaven is a place of freedom. So we got to get free in order to do that. And that's that's what he does. So we better cut it there. That was Thank great. You. Very nice. Um, you got any shout-outs? Oh, I forgot about the shout-outs. We've been on break. I got a uh, bottle of Glen Limit for us. Okay. To all the beloved Padres of the Catholic stuff you know, thank you for your reflections, vulnerability, and spiritual fatherhood that we've received in Houston, Texas. Uh, you've opened our eyes to the fact that priests use humor too and challenged me to live a better Catholic life uh, within my daily life. And uh, they signed it from Sonia and from Josh Abraham. So I want to say thank you to them. We will thank enjoy you, that. Sonia Glenn Livid at some point. Thank you for uh, the beer. Just as a practical note, um, all goods delivered to the podcast, of which we are always grateful for, send them to 1050 Pennsylvania Street, uh, not to Schloss Goebbels. Yeah, 80203. You can find it on the Google Maps. Yeah. yeah don't send to Goebbels no more. He is... Um, yeah, taking his leave and 
he um, yeah does just doesn't want to get you know, roped back in yeah. with all this stuff. So, uh, a general shout out then is uh, all the people who prayed for us, all the people who showed their support. Um, very grateful for those prayers. I think they were very um, efficacious, and we received a lot of grace from um, from that prayer. So I'll try to bring names next time. I forgot about that. I've never been good at that, but... No, that's all right. And thank you for your patience today. I was so excited to do this. Way too much content, like drinking from a fire hydrant, but I appreciate you ah, letting beautiful. me lecture you. Uh, so we are back. We'll see you uh, next week. Have a blessed Lent. Catholic Stuff Podcast at gmail.com. Look forward to hearing from you. Ciao, Cardi. Thank you.